0: of Reason, I'm LeVon with my arch nemesis and co-host, Andre. Hello, everybody. Andre, do you believe
1: in God? Just really going to open it up like that, huh? Yeah. That's an interesting question. I feel kind of put on the spot. If it wasn't for the religious fanatics that currently surround us, I'd be a lot more transparent about these sorts of things. But I think I believe in... A higher power, but I have zero awareness or like functional approach to practicing any religion. Much as yourself, I was raised by godless communists. And well, actually, my parents hated communism, but they still. My parents were religious. (laughs) Well, (laughs) one of them. Shit. Well, I didn't really have much of a religious influence in my life. I think. I have been to church maybe three, four, five times, mostly with friends. So I don't have any, I don't have a faith, I think is the best way to put it. Um, I guess by birth, I'm Eastern Orthodox, but that, that's kind of where it ends. What about you? I used to be religious,
0: but I am no longer religious. I used to be a Christian, but no longer am. And that is very similar to what is going on with society. Uh society. As we are becoming less religious, at least in the West. Um, I don't know if that trend is consistently applicable to the East. Mm-hmm. Or even, uh, like, let's say
1: South Americans, are are, are they I'd Are say they
0: becoming less religious?
1: I don't know if they are. I, I think it kind of ebbs and flows with like political tides, but... You know, it's interesting, every election, there's kind of this assumption that the Latin population of the country is going to vote Democratic, but oftentimes, I think it was this past election cycle, like Florida and Miami, where there's like a huge percentage of Cubans, most of them are like voting for Trump. And we forget that, you know, there is this sort of influence of Catholicism, especially I think... Uh, immigrants from South America that live in the United States were probably leaving countries that had left leaning regimes in the past like 40 or 50 years so i imagine that's probably over reflective of like a certain percentage of their population i think with many things like i'm just talking totally out of my ass right now on this show
0: well i mean the, the point is though that there's still a lot of religious people right yeah.
1: um i
0: you know if you combine uh, followers of Islam and Christianity—that's at least three and a half billion people. That's no. like half the Earth's population. Yeah. If, you, and then you know, you you add all the other religions out there, and you know, um, you've got a quite quite the number. Um, but in the West, I think, especially in conjunction with the, uh, with with capitalism, right, and with Enlightenment values that have like kind of. Uh, just been taking over, we are seeing a more secular society develop, right? And the question we're going to try to look into today and answer is, is there a way that secularism can retain the good aspects of religion um, without it itself kind of carrying
1: over some of the negatives. So is this possible? In short today, we're going to be talking about the secular void, right? It's a great title, which is also in reference to my brain.
0: Exactly. So let's, let's think about this for a second, right? Religious communities. I think they tend to be a little bit stronger, right? The bonds are stronger because they have this common belief. Mm -hmm. There's also a study that I read or there's actually many studies that show religious people, at least in the U.S., live longer than non-religious people. Mm-hmm. So we can say that the social component of religion is very advantageous, right? Definitely. There's also this, you know, these consistent values that religion has. Um, and how that makes it easier for people to go about life, right? Without thinking or questioning things too deeply, right? Mm -hmm. You have the answers in a religious text. If you're not religious, you might be lost. You might not know what's right and wrong. So there's a sort of convenience, right? That's built in to religion. And that's what makes it very, um,
1: uh, what, how do you say, uh, appetizing, Powerful. Powerful. Appetizing is is. One I, like to, food, yeah. so. I like food. Yeah. I like food. Yeah. You know, th- this is, I think, one of the... I, I think community is definitely one of the m- major things that we still see today in terms of like what religion offers, right? Today's Sunday. Uh, you know, this morning I was driving to get groceries. You have all the churches going into service and it definitely has a consistent base of social interaction where... I think at a time when there's almost unprecedented social isolation happening, it's sort of a guaranteed source of community contact and care to a certain extent. But historically, you know, religion has also given us amazing developments in art and architecture I mean Christ you you were Christ. Ha. You you were, you were just in Italy a few months back and I'm sure you saw the role that the Catholic Church played there in terms of right. design it's, and
0: it's it's difficult to to walk through the Vatican and not the Vatican museum and not think not not feel like you're in a divine you know place right. really because it's so insane right <laughs> it's just completely it's it, to people who haven't been there like it's it's hard to describe, but it's the epitome of art, I think. Right. Um, or Western art, I guess. That, that's art in general, man. No. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of uh, the symbology as well that we have. It's kind of t- tied into kind of a, the, the religious culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives it like a very holistic experience to someone who's religious, right? Right um so that's powerful and then that feeds into also the, the the greater narrative right um of oh you're you're a child of god and that you know eventually you know you're going to be in heaven and experience all this joy with your loved ones and um there's also like you know the more doomsday prophecies and like there, there's a story for everyone i guess
1: but i think most importantly is that It fills it like checks a box in terms of what you were talking about moments ago of, and this is self-referential to purpose and meaning. And even if the religious practice you're undertaking has an apocalyptic conclusion, it still gives your life a level of meaning and purpose, right? If you know what you're moving towards, it's not an entirely empty existence. And I think religion does give that to people where I mean, this phrase that, oh, God has a plan for everybody. You know, I think that's kind of a messed up statement because that implies also that, you know, somebody who's a terminally ill cancer patient is just fulfilling God's will. But that does also make it easier to bear the brunt of tragedy, right? Where if something terrible happens in your life... And you kind of attribute that to, well, this is God's plan for me. God is testing me to see how I handle this. It almost makes you feel like somebody by defaults in your court and you don't feel entirely alone. I think that's a very powerful thing to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it it definitely addresses a lot of our existential concerns, right? And when you compare that to secular ideas, well, there's crickets, right? Right. (laughs) So, um,
1: a clear win for religion on on this point. <laughs> We're all going to convert by the end of this episode. I I think it's also interesting to think about maybe the more pervasive role that organized religion has played in the development of public life. Specifically, if you look at you know even in the United States or Western Europe in the past 100 years, when there would be times of economic depression or over outright poverty, you'd have churches stepping in to fill really necessary functions around healthcare, education, childcare. And that sort of creates an interesting counterbalance where if you're not fully investing into the role of government uh, as a provider of basic benefits, there's going to be the church to kind of scoop in some of the sort of residual elements of that. I mean, think about orphanages and, and who cares for homeless children, even the homeless, right? I mean, around our community, Every Sunday, there is kind of this mass soup kitchen that opens up under like interstate bridges. And it's all religious organizations feeding the homeless population, which should be a function of government. But government doesn't really pay much attention to that particular issue. So the church steps in. And I think historically, there's always been this tension when you have a rapid secularization of a society, which eliminates the role of church from public life completely. All of a sudden, you have entire gaps. And when we were discussing this topic and researching it, I really thought about Spain in the 1930s where the Spanish Republic came into existence right before the, the civil war happened. And one of the first things they did um, in their belief that Spain was underdeveloped because the church had too much influence in society, they completely gutted their presence. But then all of a sudden you didn't have enough resources, and infrastructure to provide public schooling to children or to take care of the elderly. And it led to an almost collapse of society because it was done too fast. So I think the church definitely plays an important role in our kind of personal spiritual lives, but it's definitely a very critical element in how we think about our communities and in public life in general.
0: I think the point about like charitable organizations that are, you know, religiously based, um, that's very interesting because we know that there's a huge incentive to do good, right? Right. Um, because you're going to get rewarded with uh, a great afterlife. And if not, you will be punished <laughs> severely. Eternally. <laughs> right. So that actually, you know, like you said, it fills in maybe some of the holes, uh, when it comes to, uh, society providing a, a baseline for certain functions. Right. Um, so that, that's a very good point. Um, What's, what's your next point here? You got you to explain this to me.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you talked about with the Enlightenment, with industrialization, with really the, the true rise of capitalism, that religion is playing less of a role in public life than maybe it had, you know, in the leading up to the 17 and 1800s, right? And the question I wanted to pose to you, and this kind of fits into our greater discussion about the problem of the secular void is if religion is being slowly squeezed out of our lives which i don't fully agree with and we can discuss that a little bit later but if it is indeed being squeezed out of our lives what is moving in to fill that space right and kind of the the quote that that aristotle had that nature abhors a vacuum right that nature is always going to find uh, something to fit into an empty space. And if religion is gone, what sort of concepts or lines of thought are filling in the space once left by religion? And I think this feeds back into our discussion a couple of weeks back around consumerism, right? Where if we're living in this kind of hyper capitalist uh, existence, the desire to consume and purchase and, you know, watch the Avengers is kind of squeezing into that space that maybe we once held for, for God and for Lenin. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make here is that even if we are actively filling that vacuum with consumerism or consumption in general, it still seems like we're falling short of something because as we talked about in our previous episode, there are high rates of depression anxiety almost like spiritual longing to a certain extent where the void is there and we're trying to pack different sorts of things into that void but it's clearly not working
0: yeah spiritual and like a communal void as yeah. well um and yeah this is a, a great segue into kind of what we want to look at next which is more of the historical context and uh, when thinking about religion thinking about why it was successful i think it's it's good to think about it as a meme and this goes back to richard dawkins's book uh the selfish gene he coined the term meme himself and basically it's analogous to the biological gene in the sense that um, it spreads reproduces even mutates within a population and so like the the more useful Uh, the the meme is, the the more quickly it's going to spread and the longer it's going to survive, uh, you know, in a population. And that's kind of what religion really is, if you think about it. It, It's this belief system that creates stronger social bonds, a stronger community, right? It provides an additional layer of tribalism. It's sort of like enhanced tribalism, right? Um, And so that's what has allowed it to flourish. I mean there's even, you know, there's even certain doctrines within uh, certain religions um where apostates are killed, right? Like what what kind of belief system would be more um difficult to kind of eradicate <laughs> than that, right? It, 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 it's just by 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 the nature of its tenets it will survive. Right. And that's kind of what, again, this idea of a meme, uh, this is what Richard Dawkins was referring to. Um, You know, as we've discussed, you know, as you have more harmonious communities, you have more consistent values, you have the stronger in-group mentality that gets built in. So this kind of protective measure of the in-group that also actually ends up leading to a stronger Bias against outgroups, right? And we see that manifest today, um, where in very religious countries like the religious minorities are heavily oppressed, right? Right, and that tends to happen. Um, so, uh, so you see that religion as an idea. Um, it's it's clear that throughout our history, it was very important
1: in. I think helping us cooperate at a larger scale. Right. I, I think you, I feel like we always reference the same book in the same points on our episodes. But what you said about the added layer of tribalism, like a super tribalism almost, I think is very important. And it reminded me of the autobiography of Malcolm X, where Malcolm X, after he got out of jail, practiced kind of a warped. Form of Islam, which was preached by the Nation of Islam in the United States, and it was very much grounded in uh, a separate Black identity in the United States to kind of separate away from uh, white Americans and create a separate nation just for Black Americans. And they saw kind of white white people as um, almost like a demonic force to a certain extent. But after Malcolm X went on his pilgrimage to Mecca. He actually had this awakening because he was surrounded by Muslims from different countries, white people, black people, Asians. And he almost had, he had a reawakening to a certain extent that his politics shifted almost completely where he realized like under Islam, you had a completely unifying force across races that his previous thought process was kind of warped to a certain extent, which ultimately resulted in him getting killed. Uh, I believe the nation of Islam like didn't really take too kindly to, what they saw as heretics. But I thought that was a pretty interesting realization he came to, because he was a pretty militant, like one of the most dedicated officers of the nation of Islam. And at Mecca, he had this, not even a vision, but he, he, he had evidence of cooperation across racial lines as commonly united by religious beliefs. Right. And I think that is a huge, success factor that that religion offers us up in terms of like human unity where we are able to a certain extent bypass some level of tribalism to unite at the religious level now granted you're very right in saying that there's a percentage of that that's a consequence of you join us or die Um, but to a certain extent if we are talking about how to manifest like common bounds between ourselves and our distant neighbors who might be culturally or linguistically different from us, religion is very much a, a great force for that. And Absolutely. we don't really have anything comparable to it.
0: Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we've now kind of touched on the, the good elements of religion, but let's just like keep perspective <laughs> here. Let's keep it real. So, so Andre, tell me, tell me about the horrors of religion. Tell me about the downsides here. Historically
1: speaking. Uh, Historically speaking. Well, What if I can't find any? What if this is where we realize that religion is the only answer? No. Uh, I I think it dates back... I mean, really, any religion, to your point, there is an undercurrent element of violence against the other. And you can see that in the the Spanish Inquisition. You could see that in... I mean, Europe for... All the years leading up until 1945, regarding Judaism, the pogroms in in the Russian Empire. I mean, religion has always been used as a cudgel to crush those that are religiously different from you.
0: Yeah, and and just a quick point, you know, when we say religion, obviously, very large, yeah, ambiguous term because all religions are not the same, and I think we're we we, we tend to reference more of like the monos, monotheistic religions or maybe like the very brutal early uh, kind of pagan religions. Right. Right. But there are a lot of Eastern religions that are very peaceful, that require completely unreasonable leaps of logic to justify violence with. Right. Right. So like we're not trying to, you know, just
1: use a blanket term. I I think in our experience, I mean, we could talk to Christianity. I think with Islam, we had very real examples of mass violence and Hatred with the Islamic State in the 2010s and even Eastern religions, man. I mean, the 20th century, early 20th century in like what is now China, was a pretty interesting place in terms of like radical Buddhism. I mean, there was a, I guess he was like a Baltic German, but he was a Buddhist and he convinced himself he was the reincarnate of the god of death, a uh, god of war. And he went around slaughtering like. Thousands of innocent civilians in Mongolia. I mean, every religion has its more like fiery radical arms. That's true. And maybe that just speaks
0: to kind of human nature, right? Because, you know, Buddha himself, he was deified, you know, not too long after he died, right? Even though it's very difficult when you look at it logically, when you look at the things he said you know, to start to deify him. Like, how did they get there? Right. Right. Uh, in the same way, you know, some people make that argument
1: for Jesus himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think we've largely discussed like very like large acts of violence and, and extermination. But if we also think about the maybe horrors of religion on the side of like a social level where it's like a complete oppression of women and we've seen this and again, Christianity and Islam, to a certain extent Judaism, I don't really know much about Eastern religions, but you also have a rejection of any semblance of homosexuality up until recently, right, where you had a period of reformation. And I think that has led to a level of stagnation on a social level, historically, but also we're kind of seeing some of it come into the fold right now, which we'll discuss in a little bit. So yeah, there's this higher level of violence as a philosophical concept that permeates religion, but also this deep rooted sort of social decay and destructiveness that comes into the fold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so just to keep up with kind of the historical uh, line of thought here, um, you know, all these religious wars kind of, I think, you know, we can say looking at it historically, they prompted the emergence of secularism. Right. Um, And, I guess some historians pin that down to like the 18th century um, where it really started to get going, you know, in conjunction with enlightenment ideas Mm -hmm. and philosophy. Um, Let me ask you this though. Do you think um, apart from, you know, this motivation to maybe uh, detach the church from the state because, you know, you, you see all these very poor political consequences. Um, do you think secularism is inevitable given the large societies that we have and the advancement of technology and and science? Like, do you think it's inevitable that we would eventually become a more secular society? Um, Because if you're, if you have groups of people and, you know, you're you're forming like very functional civilizations and religion was that initial glue that kept things together. Mm Mm-hmm. And then people start specializing in different things. People have more time, right? They start learning uh, about different sciences, right? And uh, we start to see the utility of reason and science emerge mm-hmm. and start to now go up against religious uh, beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Because they sh- there's, there's clearly inconsistencies, right? Like lightning is not the product of God, right? Or that the earth isn't the center of the universe, right? We start to see that science is coming into conflict with religion. Uh, but if, if science itself, if reason itself is a natural byproduct of simply having societies where people are actually not having to hunt and grow food all the time and actually can, can spend their days thinking about things then can, can we say, I maybe just answered my own question here, but, <laughs> but what do you think about that?
1: I, I think that you might actually have the reverse happen where I, I, I think that eventually what we talked about as this kind of void and emptiness is going to become so great that people are in fact going to start turning, are going to start turning more to faith than we would expect with a parallel evolution of thought vis-a-vis industrialization, like, you know, automation and whatever. I think that actually we're probably going to see more people expressing interest in religion and maybe gravitating towards it, especially if we don't have, I think it's very much contingent on how our politics evolve to accommodate for this like next stage of economic development and growth we're going to experience. Right. Because I think where you have a healthy presence of investment into education and healthcare, there's less of a chance that somebody is going to turn to religion to have some of their needs met. Right. And I'm thinking along the lines of, again, what we were discussing in terms of who's filling in the gaps in, in our country right now, in our society, places where the government can't meet demand because it's either unable to or just not interested you're always going to have religion to sort of step in or religious organizations step in to provide care and, and comfort to a certain extent. And I actually think on the path we're on right now, and it doesn't really seem like we're deviating from it from a policy standpoint, we're going to welcome in the next stage of industrial development with automation. And um, so this is interesting. Could, Could you, could we say that there's this perpetual back
0: and forth, almost between secularism and more like religiosity. Um, You know, like if you think about it, if secularism was sort of a response to uh, not the void, but like the failures of religion, right. Then could religion not be a response to the failures of secularism? Right. And you could always have this back and forth. I think so. When one starts to kind of, fail
1: at certain aspects. I I also think that, you know, it's very hard to have this discussion without taking class into account. I mean, the secular thinkers, the great kind of uh, driving forces of the enlightenment movement, they weren't like low level peasants or industrial workers. They were people of a certain class who had the time to, like you said, the time to sit back and leisurely think about these concepts, right. Or, Or philosophize professionally. I think largely speaking parallel to the enlightenment movement you still had a pretty consistent entrenchment of religion in like the peasantry and to a certain extent in maybe low level like merchants and things like that and i suspect kind of what we're witnessing today in the united states from a political standpoint if you look at the the class of people that's really latching on to a lot of this like resurgent radical Christianity, it's very much working class people, right? Who are turning to religion because the world around them is inherently cruel and apathetic. And I think that's kind of the the ultimate peril of secular society is that it creates apathy. And to your point, I actually, I think that's the best model to to use to guide this kind of thought experiment. It is very much kind of like a seesaw, right? Mm -hmm. Where secularism Tries to overcorrect the, the shortcomings and very real failures of religion. But then without certain accommodations, religion's going to overtake it again because secularism without certain guardrails in itself becomes a, a, a terrifying thing. And if you look at societies that like successfully abolished religion in the presence of religious life... And I'm thinking about, you know, the Soviet Union, for instance, which for the better part of 70 plus years, religion played no role in Soviet society. You know, granted, there was still individual faith and and, and whatnot. And ultimately, a lot of this led to the collapse of the Soviet Union when the protest movements kicked off in the late 80s. But what the Soviet Union did well is that it replaced all the functions of religion with either uh, politics. Right. The Christ was removed. They hung up Stalin and Lenin and Marx but also in terms of the provision of health care, provision of education and kind of a healthy organization of kind of communities around sort of like local political participation, local councils, things along those lines. Right. So they eliminated religion, but they didn't just leave it with nothing. They kind of filled in the gaps as best as they could. And I think that's sort of our best bet for the triumph of secularism in the future is if we're able to kind of, fully reject the need to think about oh there's a god there isn't a god if you have like a a full investment of society into the secular approach what do you think uh
0: i have no thoughts man <laughs> i don't think too much these days i just pray yeah i think there are good and bad ways to think about secular society or they're good and bad examples sorry of secular societies, so like if we look at Scandinavian societies today, I mean they are. If, if you look at like the studies of happiness and well-being, they're doing as good as anyone, right? I mean they they're at the top of the list, and they're very and they they are the most secular societies that we have. So have we got this all wrong? <laughs> is, is, is it possible that?
1: You know, just like there's good and bad religions, there are good and bad secular societies. Yeah, definitely. And again, I think to to the point I made earlier, the Scandinavian countries have a pretty rich social safety net. So you're not. I, I think we start getting into questions of like existential dread when we don't have a basis of stability. When, you know, in our country, if you lose your job, you lose your health insurance. You lose your home. Rent's going up. Food prices are going up because there's a lack of like. Public security. Almost, you're going to start turning to religion to answer some of these questions, or to give you like a sense of hope or 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 explanation for why things are so bad. That's, I think, maybe the 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 yardstick that we're going to measure secular societies by.
0: Now, what about some of the trends today that we see uh, in terms of like the acceleration of culture, right? Like how quickly things are. Or changing mm-hmm. um, I mean look at you know dating, for example, with the advent of dating apps <laughs> and then you know how that has led to or accelerated hookup culture and what what that means for society right like these are I mean can we say these are a result of a more secular society because you know if, if you were thinking about living in a if you're thinking about being in a very theocratic Nation, they might outlaw something like a dating app right or they might put certain restrictions that prevent or reduce like hookup culture right so first of all is it fair to say that things like dating apps are a product of (laughs) secular culture is Is that that a fair statement
1: i think yes just as you know, if we reduce dating apps down to a source of getting sex. Yeah, definitely. In a similar way as to how birth control and abortions would be products of a a secular culture as well, where, of course, you're going to be okay with sex without consequences. And, And I think maybe this is very much like a digitized byproduct of the sexual revolution, where like the advent of birth control like made it possible to sleep with many partners without much consequence. But I I think what really identifies it, and I'm not saying they're going to try to get rid of dating apps, but as our country is sort seems to be shifting a direction of more religious influence on public life. Again, the recent uh, Supreme court ruling on Roe versus Wade. I think anything that's seen as a target for this movement to eliminate Again, first and foremost abortions, but there's talks about contraception being on the table too, which I don't think that's ultimately going to happen. But, you know, I was saying the same thing about abortions last year. I think that, yeah, these are very much products of secular thought because ultimately speaking, I don't know if these sorts of lifestyle choices will be like approved by deeply religious individuals. And I don't, we need to get some listeners from that camp. I'm very curious what the Christian dating apps are like.
0: Sure. Well, uh, just to kind of circle back to the point that I was attempting to make, um, you know, we we kind of see this detachment from religious ideas and values and the constraints of religion as like inherently a good thing. Right. Uh, And we see this as progress, right. Uh, Kind of every new secular thing that that happens and every new secular cultural element that emerges is almost viewed positively. Mm -hmm. But we have to keep in mind that secular culture and secularism in general as a prominent force in culture is a relatively new phenomenon, right? Only over the last couple hundred years or so. Okay. Religion has thousands of years of history behind it and thousands of years of proof that no matter how deranged some of the values that they have and some of the beliefs are, there is proof that they can hold a society together. Right. And, and, and have stable societies like, okay, there's also all these wars that happen. It's, it, it's, it's not, you know, it's not black and white, but, but if you take it on the grand scheme of human history, right. Yeah. Like there, there's proof that the the value, right? Like those memes that have transpired, Right. Or have successfully, you know, survived through thousands of years of, com- you know, all the competing beliefs that that have come up, uh, up against it. Um, there's something to be said about that. Right. Th- mm-hmm. There's like this value in, you could say, conservatism. Right. Like th- that is like a form of conservatism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look at the acceleration of cultural. Um, phenomena within secular societies, are we, are we going too fast? Are we not having the proper foresight in thinking about the consequences of some of these, these, these new cultural elements? Like, like we said, dating apps. I mean, dating apps, I mean, we're going to have a separate podcast on this topic, but they... And when I say dating apps, again, like religion, it's an ambiguous term to some extent. Certain dating apps and certain... Um, cultural forces that it produces, like, you know, looking at Tinder specifically, right? Where it, it does propagate hookup culture. Like, what does that mean for relationship dynamics moving forward in modern day society, right? Like, what does that really mean? And that's a very like, when you talk about relationship dynamics, that's a very fundamental aspect of human life. That's a very fundamental aspect from an evolutionary standpoint. When you're messing with the key variable and, and, and things are moving so quickly that we're not really thinking about it or, or a, able to anticipate the potential consequences, the potential pitfalls, like, are we going to shoot ourselves in the foot, right? Like, is, is, I mean, uh, this, you, you have to say, is a negative of secularism the pace of change at least in some domains right mhm of course like things like gay rights right like that's a good thing like that's it's good that you know that that happened you know almost overnight relatively speaking from yeah. a, like a legal standpoint whatever it, right? i mean
1: it was a very long hard fight
0: but i but guess from the a, rule like a legal yeah. standpoint yeah okay so like certain domains fine change change quickly as possible that's good but other domains, you know, we we have to maybe think more carefully about it. I
1: think you're the the issue you're identifying is if you look at what really drove to like the embrace and recognition of rights for the LGBTQ plus community, which I guess are still being negotiated to this day, and, and there is still a threat to them, uh, to to those rights in particular, especially with with the ruling with Roe v Wade. But that was very much driven from like a polity, from public life. And I think that's maybe what you're referring to as more of like a thought out buildup to a certain extent. But things like Tinder, that's all a product of the the economic model. That's a product of capitalism. And I don't know if there's like critical thought going into, should we create this sort of app? You know, the thought is, oh, this is going to maximize profit. And that's like the starkest difference is that a lot of these like neo-secular uh, maybe signals and models that we're discussing are being created by like economic incentives versus like a civilizational development. it's driving our evolution as like a, as a culture, but it's not happening from like a, a protest movement or from something that's organized by like individuals and citizens of a certain organization. It's driven by, companies seeking to pursue larger profit margins. Right.
0: But now, can we say the economic model produces secular thinking in terms of the things that it values are things that religion doesn't
1: really value yes. in terms of like, you know, materialism right? or, or uh, like kind of the over-sexualization of... Right. I don't know of what people, I guess. Right. If that's
0: going to drive profits, that's what happens. Right. So without the religious values to guide the economic forces, again, like, you know, you're again, I'm not trying
1: to use, I'm not trying to lambast secularism. Right. I I think we've, we've identified, and maybe this is the value that we've contributed to the, the human, like collective existence is we've identified maybe two branching paths for secularism. There's kind of the, maybe a public secularism driven by, God, we're going to get hate for this, driven by government, driven by individuals and and political thought and rational thought. And there's also kind of more like (laughs) radical secularism driven by profit margins and economic development. I think those are maybe two branching paths that we could take. And I think things like the enlightenment were a product of discussion and thought and reflection on the human condition versus, Oh, we're just going to do this because it's going to make us a buck. And I think we're very much in that camp right now versus maybe the philosophical rejection of the trappings of religion because it has had so many like tragic and destructive influences in our life. That's not what we're doing. We're just, we're, we're full steam ahead. Right. You know, everything is for sale. Everything is marketable without much, you know, consideration for implications or even purpose to that extent. And I think that in itself is an important argument to make when considering like, where are we heading with this and where is religion going to play a role in this in the future?
0: Yeah. So in terms of improving uh, secular society, what, what, what are some thoughts that you have? Right. So it seems like based on what you were saying, obviously education's always like on the top of the list, you know, when it comes to any topic here, like how can we improve X mm-hmm. um, through education? That's that's one thing, right? You would agree with that. Um, and then what about like, you know, kind of these new age spirituality and, and meditation philosophies that are emerging? <laughs> do you think that's going to be enough uh, at least, you know, to, to, to fill some of the void? Uh,
1: I think one of the biggest things we could do. Is probably encourage And a lot of it is happening in our generation now, but encourage open discussions and awareness around mental health, where I think making, you know, therapy and counseling largely available, cheaply available is going to do wonders for kind of stabilizing people to a certain extent that you're, they're not going to pursue the, you know, zany religious thought to, to account for some of their struggles. Right. I, I imagine God is a very necessary thing if you have like an undiagnosed crippling anxiety disorder.
0: Right. It goes back to what you said. You know, if the state is able to fulfill some of the basic needs. Yeah. That kind of, you know, that can,
1: you know, fill in the gaps a bit. Right. I I think also to a certain extent. it, It comes down to. Regulation of the economy, I think, to a certain extent, maybe not going full like. Well, it's such a huge driver of, you know, kind of
0: the, the potentially damaging cultural phenomenon that we've discussed. Right? right. So it
1: has to be right. It has to be in our uh, eyesight. Right. 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 I mean, if if you want to create a healthy secular society, right. And want one grounded mm-hmm. in like genuine secular principles, what do you think? What, what are your approaches to kind of resolving this mess?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of uh, ideas that I've been thinking about. One is, uh, you know, I think the power of narrative cannot ever be underestimated. And I think when it comes to, like, science, we have, I mean, we have Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? We have him? We have him, oh. but he talks too much. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. He talks over everyone on every podcast that he's on. We should get him on the we show. need. what I'm trying to say is, we need more... We need more people promoting science and doing it in a way that is genuinely interesting, right? I'm thinking about Bill Nye, the science guy. (laughs) Oh, God. No, no, but like seriously, we need people to create narratives around science and make people more passionate about it and like try to derive some additional meaning. Because think about something like evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm very biased. I love evolution. Um, But the idea that, you know, we evolved from fish. Is hilarious and awesome, but also crazy. The idea that, you know, if you go back further, that we evolved from a single celled organism, mm-hmm. even more insane. The idea that um organic compounds became self-replicating, right? Like what? <laughs> this is crazy. Like let's l- let's like promote these things and like try to build some narrative to make it more interesting and and to say, hey, like this life is a complete miracle. Okay, it wasn't necessarily God, but like this is a crazy world we live in. Let's get excited for the world that we are a part of without ascribing everything to like a supernatural source, right? The net like the natural source is already
1: fucking amazing. But do you don't do you think that maybe at some point that's going to drive people to religion? Let's say if you have like a mass study of the human condition and I mean, now with, like, the James Webb Telescope, we're able to, like, have a clearer picture of stars and, you know, clouds of fucking space dust. Do you think that at some point, without at least some sort of semblance of answers for these questions, I mean, it's the debate we got into last night, right? What was before the Big Bang? I mean, yeah, you can, like, have the philosophical argument, well, like, well, nothing. But that doesn't really fit into the human mindset. I mean, do you think that if we start having a broader emphasis on, like, Scientific evaluation study, it might actually have more people turning to God to answer this like overarching question of like life is so complicated. uh,
0: I don't know if they need to turn to God. They might, they might turn to some ambiguous spirituality, (laughs) right? But I guess as long as it doesn't have some of the damaging tenets of certain religions, then maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's okay for. You know, someone to have some of these supernatural mm-hmm. beliefs, as long as, again, it's kind of still grounded for the most part in, in kind of reason and and science. And like those things aren't coming. Um, those things aren't um, conflicting. Right. right? With, with kind of like, like uh, stem cell research. Right. Like we have a huge problem where religious folk are against this due mm-hmm. to religious reasons, even though there's like this insane utility to society. Right. Um, as long as we're not having those conflicts due to the supernatural beliefs, I'm not, I'm not really that opposed to them. I think you still have to kind of like,
1: I, I'd I'd be curious, this might be an interesting thing to look into, but like rates of church attendance and like new, new attendees to churches around the time of like the space race, when we had such an emphasis, like in public thought around, we're going to the moon, we're sending satellites to Venus, you know, we're competing with the Soviets over who is going to plant their flag next into like what space rock. Yeah. There's a human narrative there, right? Right. I mean, this. I think that's kind of one of the most powerful elements of Soviet propaganda is the fact like there's a really cool propaganda poster. It's like a a drawing of Yuri Gagarin in space. And he's like, yeah, I'm up here. I don't see a God. And it's like, damn man. Wow. And this drops the mic. Yeah. Well, from space. Um, But maybe forever to hit the ground on it's it's still it's still <laughs> falling um but i think maybe yeah this emphasis of like the human role in exploration and and maybe even scientific progress is, is critical here
0: yeah so so filling in the narratives that religion um was was typically kind of in charge of filling in uh that's that's one idea um Another idea I've had is trying to organize our societies um, in a way that promotes uh, more communal living or or a stronger community bond, reduces social isolation. um, And in general, countering the weaknesses that we are aware of uh, when it comes to secularism, the things that it doesn't do a good job of, like having consistent beliefs, uh, a consistent belief structure. Right. Like, can we start to counter that, you know? obviously we would need to improve our educational system um things like that uh i mean it, it, does does that make sense uh, one of the things i mentioned was urban planning mm-hmm. right if we can get rid of roads <laughs> i fucking hate roads <laughs> let's get rid of roads let's have like people living in more uh walking friendly environments right
1: and that's kind of the irony though because i think a lot of these Models you're probably thinking of are a consequence of like medieval development patterns for communities where you had a church at the center and a bunch of roads and houses around the, ch- like right, that, let's, that let's take the good and leave the bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of, again, like where we're headed to with the secular void is that without the sort of central central presence in our lives where there's no reason for us to congregate around a city center. I mean, that's kind of a, here's my space brain moment that I'm experiencing right now. Like, if you look at a European plaza, nine times out of 10, you have some sort of like religious institution capping that plaza, right? There's a reason why buildings are organized around, like if you think of like, like I don't know, cathedrals, cathedral, yeah. like, like in Bruges in Belgium, right? right? There's a giant ass cathedral in the middle of it around which you have like townhouses and like a public square, but we don't have that anymore. Like this central role of religion in our lives. So our communities are no longer developed around a center point. That's why we develop out. That's why we have suburbs and sprawls. And that's kind of an interesting concept, right? Because if you are going to create maybe a more dense walkable community, for instance, what is going to be the centerpiece of it that would cause people to want to live in that community to have maybe more of like a...
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think this has to be deliberately planned and facilitated by you know lawmakers and city planners whatever right to to kind of promote the sort of thinking and maybe provide some regulations to make it requ- a required feature of new developments right like we should try to do this of course this does not fall in line with the economic model right at least that's how people are in practice I mean, that that's what's being suggested based on how things are implemented in practice. I think you can make a great case for like, hey, people will congregate to areas where you have like a nice square where you have, you know, more interesting things to do where people are bonding. And you can put a bunch of shops around there like you can't you can make it. Uh, economically
1: enticing too i I don't think it's i I
0: don't think it's like that out of the realm of possibility here and and i mean you see some some areas like that in the states i I think you're having
1: that right now with sort of the resurgence of american cities that were like gutted by white flight in the mid-century where now like millennials want to live close to coffee shops and they want to be able to walk to their bars and back to their apartment you kind of have like some semblance of that coming up and maybe like the church in the square in this instance is like a like a fucking apple store or something where you can go and get your (laughs) iphones um but i i think this introduces a really interesting experience we're having right now where you attributed responsibility to a lot of this from like a policy making standpoint which i think you're really correct but i'm curious to hear your thoughts maybe on maybe this like a religious backlash we're witnessing or maybe the encroachment of like conservative religious politics onto what is supposed to be like more of a secular approach to governance. I mean, I think it's, it's terrible. It's obviously
0: bad. I mean, yeah. Roe <laughs> versus Wade being overturned. Uh, I mean, what, what more can you say? What do you think is causing it? Well, I think there's a lot of propaganda. I mean, that, that's a, that's a completely different topic. <laughs> there's a lot of propaganda on the Right. Um, there's a, there's poor education. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I mean, I, I don't know if there's anything else in society that's like fundamentally driving that other than I think these well-known factors,
1: I could be wrong. What do you think? I think you're right. I, I think in many ways, what we have identified as like the enemy to <laughs> healthy secularism is indeed like capitalism where both of these political positions, be it like the neoliberal left with, with the support for like tech companies and whatnot. And like the religious right in this country are very much driven by like the same things where I don't know if this is like the, the Christianity that was preached in like the building of public squares and in raising of churches in like Reykjavik Iceland or something. It really seems like this is something like uniquely representative of our current times where it's like a pseudo-religious backlash against a pseudo-secularism to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, no, I like that term pseudo-secularism because the truth is money is the god of
1: of, of secular society. We have another thing. t-shirt. Man, Like we, we could just create a fashion house out of this. Yeah, well,
0: that's a... Uh... That's a good segue into ending this podcast. The apocalyptic end. Mm, no, I don't like that. Try again. So what happens when we die? What happens when we die? Uh, the secular in me
1: has no answer. Just you go to, like, no, I'll tell you what happens <laughs> when you die. You go work for an Amazon warehouse. The Jesus. great, the great big Amazon warehouse that's, in the no, sky. No, that's the hell that's promised by Christians. Oh, endless toil! <laughs> you have to pee in a bottle. <laughs> that <sighs> some, might actually be worse. Some sweaty yeah. bald guys just. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I have no answer, man.
1: But this that's what an interesting. Secularism does to you, you know? But you're also not rejecting the notion that something could happen when we die.
0: I mean, my personal beliefs are that. The universe is completely insane. Reality is probably more interesting than we realize that we may ever find out. So I'm not, you know, I don't shut the door on anything. Uh, I'm more of an agnostic on the topic of, of God or like an afterlife. But, you know, based on our current understanding, I expect that there will be nothing, right? Just like before you were born, like what was your experience before you were born? You didn't have an experience. I was right? a sperm. You were a sperm. Yeah, you were quite the sperm, man. <laughs> you uh, <laughs> you pulled it off. That's quite an egg, too. Um, I mean, that is gladiator-level stuff.
1: Do you think they're going to show Star Wars after you die, though? Cause no, how I'm else not, I'm I not a big c- fan anyway. I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, no. but how else am I going to catch up on my streams, dude? Your streams? My streams. My my, my Netflix. Dude, I, I don't
0: know. We, we We need to stop this, though. Yeah closing thoughts closing thoughts
1: um i think we're fucked that's been the closing thought for every episode we've recorded indeed indeed practice legitimate secularism kids